all this discussion we've had about Marjorie Taylor Greene, it raises the question of what Trumpism has done to this country, to a political party, the psychological effects, the mental battering that has occurred, and how has a party allowed for people like this to become at the forefront with enormous power, but also people like George Santos, a liar and a fabricator, to be elected and to be accepted by the rest of the party. Joining me to talk about that is Dr. Seth D. Norholm, who is a translational neuroscientist, psychologist, and one of the world's leading experts on PTSD and fear. And PTSD is very much um, a focal point of this discussion when we talk about Trumpism and the age of Trump. Uh, Dr. Norholm, welcome to the program. Thanks. It's good to be here. So I, I wanted to talk a little bit first about, and it's something I don't think a lot of people have discussed, what the entire country has experienced collectively and how it has affected people um, emotionally and uh, mentally uh, with regard to Donald Trump's administration and certainly the kind of um, brutality that he emboldened, um, the fear he created for a lot of people. A lot of people still feel that. They don't want us to even play clips of him speaking. And also the emboldening, of course, of people who emulate him as well. Right, right. Yeah, if you look at the last, you know, seven years now, uh, the way it was before, you could really look at your life in terms of two views. One I call a micro scale, which you think about as, you know, your family situation, your housing situation, your job, uh, the things that you have a lot of control over. And so there's also the macro scale, which is, you know, your role as a citizen of the United States, the citizen of the world your role in terms of your stewardship of the earth and its environment for the next generation. So there was a time pre-Trumpism where you could really focus on your micro scale. And then maybe if you were interested in politics, if you wanted to affect change, if you wanted to dive into that, that storm, you could, but you could live pretty much in your micro scale. And maybe there would be issues like taxation or price you know, price raising and things like that, that might affect you, but you could as a citizen remain in your micro scale and not engage with politics and just let it be. And if somebody said, let's talk about the upcoming election, you could appropriately say, I don't want to talk about politics or I don't follow politics. And that was pretty well accepted and appropriate. But what happened with the ushering in of the Trump age is Suddenly, what was happening on the macro scale in terms of our government and elected officials and their policies and their, their beliefs and their actions was suddenly having a strong influence on our micro scale. So we could no longer separate those two parts of our life where they were making decisions that were detrimental to our health, that were potentially deadly in terms of consequences. You know, one of the first examples I point out is the response to Hurricane Maria in 2017, in which the Trump administration slow walked the response and in many ways was racist in their response because they viewed 
Puerto Rican Americans as being somehow different and inferior in much the way you would if you thought like a racist. And what happened then was, you know, 3,000 Americans lost their lives. And that was really a precursor to what we saw with the pandemic, where again, this self-serving, malicious form of government was, you know, anti-mask, anti-vaccine, anti-closing, you know, the famous words, we're going to open up again by Easter of 2020, where policies were actually potentially deadly to Americans. And so you suddenly just couldn't ignore what was happening politically because there was such a, a potential for it to be dangerous to you. And you talk about this as a collective uh, PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder, um, that many people in the country have experienced. And I'm, I'm curious, is that something everyone experienced, whether they are those who fear and, and despise Trump or even those who are sort of in his cult? Yeah, so let's let's first define. So PTSD as a as an illness is related to you experience a traumatic event in your life and then it has, you know, consequences that affect you mentally and and behaviorally and it's usually, you know, the the prime example is, you know, a combat veteran who was traumatized while they were deployed to Iraq or Afghanistan, they come back to the states and even though they're in a, a safe environment, they still act as though they're in the war zone. And so there are elements of the collective psychology that are similar to PTSD, but I just want to be clear that, you know, relative to your question, not everybody viewed Trumpism as a traumatic event. They may right. have acted in that way. But the other thing is there were certainly, you know, hundreds, if not thousands of people with real PTSD related to Trumpism. For example, if you were in Puerto Rico during Hurricane Maria, or if you were on the front lines in March and April of 2020, and you saw all these traumatic deaths because of the, the start of the COVID or, pandemic. Or what he did to people at the border and separating families and putting kids in cages. Right, right. So it's a collective PTSD or traumatization in the sense that there was suddenly this danger we all had to be aware of. And whether that was domestic terrorism through people who were you know, Trump loyalists or MAGAites who carried out, you know, the, the gentleman who blew up a city block in Nashville and, and situations like that, or the, the you know, the loyalists who follow this, this, this dangerous path. So suddenly there was this new fear and threat in America, which is what is going to happen to my life and my livelihood based on what I'm seeing. And it was really almost on a daily basis for that four-year term. So one of the things that you see with PTSD is what we call hypervigilance, where you're constantly on guard and on alert for something threatening. So that is very much the situation that many of us found ourselves in during that presidency, because we just didn't know what the next thing was going to be. And in fact, we had leadership that was opposing all the positions that would potentially you know, keep us safe, like pulling out of the Paris Accord, like, you know, international relations, courting Putin, courting Kim Jong-un. So actually seeking out danger. So it was completely justified and appropriate for people to have this newfound sense of fear because we had never seen this before from our leadership. Sure, we had presidents you may not have agree with. There was the, uh, you know, the example of Nixon where there was corruption, but never on this scale and never on such a consistent basis. Right. And even still, with, of course, 
Trump losing the election, Joe Biden winning. We had the insurrection. We have the big lie. We have these people like Marjorie Taylor Greene and others in power. That fear and that PTSD is still there for many people. It hasn't gone away. Yeah, the analogy I like to use a lot is, you know, Trump was an abusive president, meaning he did not care about the well-being of Americans unless they were loyalists or said nice things about him, to use his words. Um, and so, you know, there was a situation where, you know, you're, you're, you're at risk and there are potential, you know, dangers surrounding you. And what you see now is these these parrots and these mouthpieces who are imitating Trump because they saw that that approach could be successful. And so if you think about Trump as being the abuser and the American people as being the abused spouse or partner, what's happened now is there's been no accountability. So the analogy I like to use is the abused spouse who sees the police outside their house and they're walking up to the door and the, the abused spouse opens the door and the police say, you know, we, we have no evidence or, you know, it's your word against his. There's nothing we can do. And so the abused partner or spouse watches the police walk away and just has this fear and dejection because mm -hmm. their abuse has been completely ignored and there's been no accountability. So that's what we've been seeing in the wake of January 6th. Is there's been no accountability for upper level leadership, including the president and, and his cabinet and and as advisors, there's been no accountability at that level. And so what you've seen is there were 147 Republicans who voted to overturn the election of Joe Biden. And many of them are sitting members of Congress. They're getting in front of microphones and they're basically telling the abused populace, oh, we're going to keep abusing you right. and there's nothing you can do about it. And, and that's so important and something I hadn't thought about. Um, how the lack of justice, seeing any justice, any indictments, anybody going to jail, uh, how how that has traumatically affected people, how that has had a, a mental um, and, and emotional uh, effect on them, uh, and very important, and I'm glad you brought that up. And you talk about the Republican Party now, and you, you just were alluding to it, as becoming this place where people with pathological behavior can thrive. So we had Lauren Boebert and Marjorie Taylor Greene and Paul Gosart and Gosar and others who were um, incredibly extreme and erratic and promoting white supremacist and QAnon ugly uh, lies. And um, that's bad enough. Uh, but then we get George Santos, who is um, completely and totally fabricating his background. Now we also have another freshman member uh, in Florida, Maria Paulina Luna, who also seems to be in the same vein, changed her name, changed her biography, um, used to be an Obama supporter. I mean, everything that comes out about George Santos, it's like we don't even know who he is. You, you're putting that in an even new category the Republican Party is accepting and you talk about him as having a personality disorder. Yeah, so I look at the genesis of, of individuals like George Santos in terms of what we saw unfold over the past seven years. So certainly if you were paying attention to the campaign in 2016, you saw who Trump was. 
You saw him insult John McCain as a war veteran. You saw him mocking a disabled reporter. You saw the, the Access Hollywood tape come out. So you were given all kinds of information as to how unqualified this person was. And I would even go further to say we recognize as mental health experts how dangerous he was. And what you saw was he ultimately got elected. And for the most part, the mainstream media did not call him out on these things. Sure, there was, you know, MSNBC and what people call the left media would address these things, but it was never publicly called out and clearly wasn't disqualifying. So what that did was it created a level of permissiveness in terms of candidates, in terms of what they could get away with, and in a large sense, what was being rewarded now was this malicious, ill intent, and uh, self-serving bias and deception that we equate with people who have personality disorders like antisocial personality, which is by definition doing things that are against the interest of other people, and in some cases, you know, taking pleasure in it. So if you're someone like a George Santos, right, and you know, before the age of Trump, if you were talking to friends or family and said, I think I'm going to run for Congress, but I'm going to lie about who I am. Back in the, let's say, you know, 90s and early 2000s, that you would think that that family member or that advisor would say, you can't do that. They're going to vet you. They're going to, you're going to be caught in the lie. But what we saw over the years of Trump was, you know, if you watch Seinfeld, you remember George Costanza's stance was, uh, you know, if you believe it, it's not a lie. And what we saw that with Trump was, if you tell it enough, it's not a lie. So there was this permissiveness of lying. So you get to the point where people that I have classified as personality disordered, meaning they have no moral compass, they have no thought about consequences, they lie with impunity. You know, it was inevitable that you would have somebody who would complete, create a complete caricature of themselves and get elected because they would use the Trumpism approach, which was just keep lying about it and push back. Uh, and and if there's any accountability, you know, you can do your best to evade it. And sometimes you can evade it for years. Right. And it's interesting you mentioned, you know, people around them who might say, hey, don't do this and, and how it, it kind of becomes a collective thing, perhaps. I mean, we don't know that so much with George Santos, but I mentioned the other um, congressperson. It's Anna Polina. Paulina Luna, not I had said Maria, but in her story, her mother seems to be part of this too. Her mother vouches for her story, but the rest of her family, everybody else says, no, none of that is true. So it's it's sort of like someone else is in on on the on the the lie and the promoting of this, um, you know, as you say, permissive now behavior. Right. And you can imagine a situation where when Santos was putting this idea together, he had people to look at as as models and potentially reach out to in Marjorie Taylor Greene, in others who are openly, you know, free with deception and lying and basically rewarding him and encouraging him by saying, yeah, you, you can do that. And in fact, we, we value your votes, so we'll we'll, we'll take you. And you need to look no further than the, the election of Kevin McCarthy as Speaker of the House to see how a small group of deceptive loyalists can hijack Congress for days. Absolutely. And 
it's so important to talk about um, what this means um, from the perspective of a neuroscientist and a psychologist about what has happened to the Republican Party and what has happened to all of us and, and the entire country in terms of what we're experiencing. So I really appreciated um, talking about this and, and, and getting into this angle of it. I think it's very important. Yeah, I appreciate having the time to uh, to speak about it. If I can make one closing comment. Sure. You know, I often get asked, you know, what's the future of America look like or how do we get, quote unquote, healthy again? And I think what we were talking about a few minutes with accountability, you know, that needs to be the fix. You know, mm. you need to have the insurrectionists face consequences, you know, banishment from Congress. You need to have, you know, Trump face consequences for his role in the insurrection. So without some kind of sweeping accountability to remove what I've called the cancer that is in our political system, there's not going to be any meaningful, healthy change. Uh, perfect uh, way to end it. What do we need to do? And yes, it's about justice and and hoping that we see that happen in Georgia or in the Justice Department uh, somewhere soon. Uh, really, again, appreciate the conversation and uh, thank you for coming on. Look forward to speaking with you again. Yeah, thanks so much. Have a good rest of the day. Seth Norholm is a translational neuroscientist uh, and a psychologist and um, someone who obviously has looked at what we've just discussed, a, a kind of collective PTSD that many people have experienced in the age of Trump.